Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Justice podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me prison philanthropist and founder of one small thing edwina grovner this episode is another in our series responding to covid19 on tuesday the 31st of march 2020 i caught up with dickie james chief executive of staffordshire women's aid to find out about the impact of the pandemic on refuge and services and the anticipated rise and incidences of domestic violence. I'm Dickie James. I'm Chief Executive of Staffordshire Women's Aid, which is a local charity providing support for um, women and children who've experienced domestic or sexual violence. And that includes Refuge, 24-hour helpline and community outreach. And what are you seeing at the moment, Dickie, with um, this terrible outbreak of COVID-19? I've certainly been hearing reports from different countries about the increase of domestic violence. Um, Can you sort of give us an overview of what you're seeing? Well, I I think this is something that we're gradually going to see. At the moment, we have um, sort of been in contact with other local partners And we are going to try and collate all our figures to see how much of a spike there is going to be. I don't have any doubt that that we're going to see an increase. Um, I suspect that um, it will be much harder for victims to contact anywhere for help because, of course, they're um, in isolation. And so it's going to be much tougher for them to, for example, phone our helpline or phone the police. And I think as people and organisations in the community become more aware of it, they need to find creative ways to reach out to people. I was hearing something that really made me sort of shiver. It was a couple of days ago saying that anyone who was fleeing home and needed, if they needed to raise the alarm, as you rightly say, you can't call a helpline if you're in your house with your abuser. So because two of the safe places people can go is the supermarket or the pharmacy, they, I think it was in France, and they were saying you can use a code word, which therefore the pharmacist would realise that that is someone who needs for the emergency services to be called because they're doing a domestic violence call for help. Yes, um, that actually is a a very, it's an example of the sort of creativity I think we need to draw on at the Mm. moment. And it's, it's really tough because we're kind of 
learning this one day to the next, aren't we, even in our normal lives? And um, another option is the silent solution, which is that the 999 can be called... And if you are silent, they will be able to track where the call's coming from. And if you get the chance to um, press 5-5, they will know that that's a domestic abuse call and go out to it. So it's a fairly recent thing. I don't think it's particularly well publicised, which is um, something that we as an organisation are going to do via our social media and so on, to, to just let people know that there are ways that they can they can seek help. But I I really feel that we want to engage with our community and, and, and let them know if they have any uncertainty, if they feel that someone's in danger like a neighbour, then do call the police. More than anything now, we know that we have to support each other as a community. And I think that um, we're going to depend on, on, on that quite a lot over in the coming weeks. Absolutely. And I was um, just looking at some statistics from Paris and they said that domestic violence rose 36% in one week. Yes, yes. I mean, so it's staggering. I mean, it was, it's quite a sort of, it's obviously a hidden crime because it is sort of domestic warfare, really, you know, but just behind the walls of your own home. And of course, it's not just men being violent towards women it might mm-hmm. be um siblings isn't yes, that right you, yes. you'll know more about this than me this is something we very rarely see or children beating up their parents yes can you describe some of the other things that our listeners might not even know go on well one of the things that we're working on at the moment as an organization is a project around older women for example so i think that The stereotypes around domestic abuse very often don't include the idea that older women could be victims of 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 um, from their partners or indeed from from um, family members such as their sons or daughters. Mm. But I think that that's a particularly hidden crime and certainly they are overrepresented in the, the, the sort of homicide statistics. So. We feel that those will be the particularly vulnerable group because they're already quite vulnerable. Yeah. And um, and people just don't associate domestic abuse with older couples somehow. Yeah, and you mean they're sort of adult children potentially beating up their elderly, frail parents? Yes, but also their husbands, you know. Uh, it, it also happens in... I, I think just because people become older, it doesn't mean that they suddenly stop being abusive. Well, no, and quite frankly, sometimes can become more abusive. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think, you know, older women aren't, aren't particularly... aren't valued as much as they should be in, in mm. our society. And, and I think, you know, they tend to be a little bit invisible in... In, in many spheres, and I think that they will be particularly vulnerable at the moment. Mm. And how um, often do you see, because of course we often hear about domestic violence through the lens of um, women being beaten up by men. Yes. In your line of work, are you seeing an increase in men being beaten up by women, or what, what's the sort of split there? Because I, I don't know if the trends are changing. Well, um Certainly, the statistics suggest that 80% of cases, it is actually men beating up women or, or, or coercively controlling women. However, 
those statistics may not be absolutely accurate because I think men are far less likely to report it or to, um, to seek help. So we do come across it quite regularly. What we find is that... Um, you know, there. Whilst the experience of being abused by anyone is similar for any everyone, um, in terms of, uh, you know, it, it has an impact on 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 mental health, on on well being, on confidence, and um, and it can be very socially isolating. But I think also there is a thing around when men are abused by women, the impact on their sense of masculinity because. Men are not supposed to be victims in our society, are they? So I think it's very tough for them to seek help. And how are you coping? Um, Paint a picture of Staffordshire Women's Aid, because you've got, I have been, and you have um, very kindly been on the podcast before, if listeners are interested in going back through our archive to find that. But can you just sort of paint a picture of the refuge that you have, how many women and children you have in it, um, and how you might be dealing with this new virus with people in your building? Yes, I mean, it's been really tough. We're very fortunate to have um, a refuge with self-contained accommodation. And some A lot of refuges in the country still have uh, communal um, accommodation, which I think is much tougher to manage. Yeah. So there are 12 families in the refuge, and at the moment that means that we have 12 women and 24 children um, and that includes babies and teenagers, um, children of all ages. Mm. Terribly sadly, because of the government guidelines, we've had to close off the communal areas and we're just trying to support the women as best we can, as safely as we can. They're shut into their self-contained flats, are they? Well, they're, they're not shut in, but they're, you know, they're able to go out like everybody else for an hour and they're able to go to the shops, but we just don't feel that it would be safe for them to be mixing in the communal areas at the moment. Equally, we don't feel that we can give them the face-to-face support that we normally do, so we're phoning them three times a day. Um, we're giving them support over the phone. We're always available on the phone. There's always a member of staff available. But in terms of managing that, it's been really tough. And I think it's important to remember that it's tough for the staff. It's very, it's frightening because everything changes from day to day. And we fear that we're not doing the right thing sometimes. Mm. And um, we've had to introduce an extreme um, sort of cleanliness routine in order to, to keep things as safe as possible. More than anything, it's very frightening for the women. They're already traumatised by their experiences and um, at least they're in a refuge and they're not living with an abusive partner anymore. But I think it's taken huge mobilisation to get the refuge into a situation where we feel we're protecting everybody from contracting COVID-19. Exactly, because I presume your staff are still coming into the building. How many staff do you have to have to run a sort of skeleton service? Well, at the moment, what we have is one member of staff because that reduces the um, the risk, but there's always somebody on call as well for them. Okay. Um, and we're not able to, you know, we have to practice social distancing so we've got sort of tapes to the office I mean it's so against everything that we do as I know Mm. you visited the refuge and you know what a safe and warm place it feels and absolutely 
um, you know, it, 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 it's been quite heartbreaking in a way to have to do these things. But we are absolutely determined to keep it running and, and to keep the women safe through the crisis. And this is the only way that we can do it. I mean, some of the, the children are actually going to school because they're on the child protection register. And so they're considered... Um, they're entitled to a place at school and I think schools are also practicing you know social distancing as well and our staff are considered key workers so they're able to send their children to school if they wish to Um, so that's been quite helpful. Can you sort of paint a picture of how the women come to your refuge in the first place you know would they be sort of literally running in the dead of night to get to you this is sort of I'm talking before before the virus um, took hold yes I mean what what normally happens is our refuge is networked to most of the refuges in the country and we we do have a really good national network so if someone needed to get away from um, a local area for their safety then the refuge in that area would contact other refuges. We also have a system which is called Routes to Safety where you can see where there's refuge space available um, online. And it takes a lot of organising to get someone safely from one place to another. So that's part of our work, working with, um, say, the police or social workers or, or other refuges to get them transport to us. Let's say a woman is in her home with an abusive partner. She knows she has to get her children and herself out. What exactly does she do? Can you talk us through the steps that she might take to then end up with you? Yeah. If if she was local, she would ring our 24-hour helpline and we would either offer her space in our refuge or find her space elsewhere or she may have called the police and the police feel that she needs to be in a, a, in safe accommodation in a refuge. So the police would make the referral via our 24-hour helpline. Um, and then all the practical steps such as travel, you know, getting the children and, and their things together would all be taken with safety as a priority, obviously. Yeah, because how does that all happen potentially without the partner finding out? Through safety planning very carefully. You know, quite often we will have worked with a woman before she makes the decision to leave and come into refuge and we will have put together a safety plan with her so that if she suddenly feels that she needs to get away, um, because it's a difficult decision to make, um, but if she suddenly decides that she needs to get away. She has things like her car keys, if she has a car, passports, um, children's medical papers, anything, just your essential things at the ready and a set of clothes. And and sometimes people literally do run in the middle of the night and and come to us with absolutely nothing. Yeah. And tell me more about your 24-hour helpline. Are you seeing a massive increase in that at the minute? We are. And, you know, again, it's been quite a feat, um, you know, working out how to keep it going. And we've managed to do this from home. Staff are carrying the helpline from home now. And that's a really important pathway to support, really. Sometimes people will ring it for advice. Sometimes people will ring just because they need someone to talk to. We don't put any pressure on people to make a decision. We just 
try and give them, um, you know, um, accurate information and emotional support. And we work with quite a lot of families out in the community. So they may not need to come into refuge or they may still be living with an abusive partner. But we will work with them to help them access legal advice, housing advice. And so we're quite well linked with solicitors and housing departments and so on, so that we can, if possible, avoid families having to go into refuge and, and, and get them safe accommodation through other means, because going into a refuge is is, is really for the highest risk. And it, it does mean leaving everything behind. And it's it's a very tough decision to make. And how long might women be with you at Staffordshire Women's Aid? Um, it's as long as a piece of string sometimes. Um, right. Sometimes women will come in perhaps for, a, you know, a few weeks while something else is arranged, while sort of legal order is, is put in place to keep the perpetrator away. Sometimes they will um, go through the whole route of, of coming into refuge and then once they have got through the initial trauma we will support them to go to the housing department and, and or, or we will support them with accessing rented accommodation. Um, every case is different, obviously. And so they may stay for six or seven months, um, sometimes even longer than that. And, and that's particularly the case with people who have high and complex needs. So, for example, with mums who have learning difficulties or something like that, who probably just need longer term support from us before they're ready to move on. And then when they do move on, we do our best to provide resettlement support as well. So help them settle into the home and continue to access our other services, such as group work and peer support groups. Yeah, and you're a local charity, aren't you? And sort of very embedded sort of within your local community. What's the sort of community response been to your situation at the minute? As I guess, but even more than I guessed, it's been absolutely fantastic. For example, we have a huge amount of support from the community for our our food bank, which is for women in refuge and it's also for women out in the community. And we had to make the very tough decision that we just couldn't accept donations of clothes, toiletries and food anymore. Right, so that wasn't a risk because of the virus. It was more, what, people power? Yes, I mean, it was more around a risk because of the virus. At our um, outreach centres, people come and drop off food and, 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 and clothes donations all the time, but we just can't manage that at the moment because we we don't want to take any risks and also we um we haven't got the woman power to be perfectly honest with you to keep the the centers running so um you know some donations are being d dropped directly outside the refuge which is lovely we had 50 easter eggs dropped off the other day oh wow um, which came from a local business you know all the staff had donated an easter egg and um that's amazing the community have raised a lot of money for us so we're giving instead of giving food to the women um we're giving them shopping vouchers and that it's just something that's really helping them, I think, to know that the community cares about them that much. Absolutely. And as a small or medium sized charity, I don't know where you'd sort of classify yourself in that. But how are you 
managing to sort of cope financially because of course this is a situation we've all been plunged into and it's so multifaceted for frontline charities because there's the incredible work that you do that is so difficult and challenging on a good day but then to be thrown into this how are you coping with that side of things and what are the challenges other than the obvious ones (laughs) yeah I mean um you know obviously I would say we were a medium-sized charity um and um I think that it's very tough anyway running a charity in this day and age you have to be something of a wizard where fundraising is (laughs) concerned and um and you have to draw in funds from several different strands which which is hard work we're managing at the moment we're very conscious that this is going to be a hard ride for us financially things that we didn't budget for for example is so that we could continue to work with women out in the community we've had to invest in a couple of laptops and some new mobile phones those are the sorts of things that you just don't imagine you're going to need all of a sudden and um similarly you know we've had to spend a lot of money on extra cleaning materials. I think that as time goes on, this is going to get even tougher, particularly with keeping the 24-hour helpline going, because there is going to come a time when we will be shorter of staff because people will have to self-isolate. It's it's kind of inevitable. And um, mm. we're just taking it a day, a day at a time, really, Edwina, and being as creative as we can. But it is going to be tough financially. I think it's going to be tougher when this is all over as well which hopefully well, exactly. won't be too long. <laughs> well, no, and, and you know, of course, there's already talk of these types of measures being in place till June, but, you know, it might be, and this is the great unknown, when we all start moving again, will there be a sort of second wave of it? And then will it be at that point that, um, you know, obviously things will become much more difficult, but yes, yes. where does that leave sort of organisations in the charitable sector I think the charitable sector is so valuable at times like this I think um I always think that you know particularly local charities they're sort of I always describe it with the glue that holds local communities together sometimes when when there are cracks and I think we're incredibly valuable at the moment um And I do hope that the government recognises that um, because I think we're going to not just, you know, if this goes on beyond June, which is is quite likely, I I think the impact, the after effect is going to be huge in terms of people, you know, finally seeking help outside the home, people having been traumatised and damaged by having to live in an in an abusive situation. I mean, I think we're all going to be irrevocably changed by this this experience, but I think there will be huge after effects and I think charities will be the ones that that need to be equipped and supported to pick some of those things up. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, relax. 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So it's great that Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, has actually been talking about domestic violence in the last couple of days. Were you so surprised? I mean, obviously pleased by her sort of interventions and putting a bit of a spotlight on it? I, I was extremely pleased um, that there's recognition that this is going to be something quite serious, really. And I just hope that it's followed up with, with support. And by support, do you mean money to shore up the frontline services? One of my big concerns at the moment about our sector is that because of COVID-19, it's going to be much harder to rehouse people. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole, everything slowed up, isn't it? So the whole process of um, moving people into new homes is going to be slowed down. And I think that means that there will be less refuge accommodation available. And that's a really, you know, I've already heard of one refuge which has had to close because they just did not have the capacity to keep going under the circumstances. So if refuge suddenly has to close, so say you, um, which I very much hope you don't at all, but if you suddenly had to close by the end of the week, what do those women do and those children? Where do they go? Well, my understanding in this particular case is that the local authority were able to accommodate the women and their children in a local hotel and so support is still being given by the refuge organisation albeit by telephone and, and, and Skype and that sort of thing and I do believe that they're also going to try and open again but they simply did not have the staff to keep it going and um, and I think this will happen because you know we don't have great armies of of people to cover our staffing we're smallish organizations so if if you suddenly get two or three staff who've got to self-isolate or have very vulnerable people at home then all of a sudden you you just can't keep things going and I think this was the case in 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 the example that I've given you and I just think that the sort of support we need is 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 perhaps you know uh, some at least on a temporary basis, some extra housing where particularly vulnerable and at risk families can be accommodated with our support, but just while refuge space is slowing down and also even closing, there's going to be a problem with where you put those at most risk. Yeah, exactly. Well, 
I wish you well. And I, I would like to be sort of ending on more of a positive note. But of course, we're just at the start of this um, sort of horrific journey, really, aren't we? Yes. Um, yes. So I hope that the next few months um, are kind to you. Thank you. And and the same to you as well. Um, we are absolutely determined to keep the refuge going and, um, and the helpline. And we're already sort of trying to think of new ways of engaging with the community and you know I think that I'm incredibly proud to be part of this sector because of the commitment I've been so proud of my staff team the way they've been so flexible and um and and the amount of volunteers that we've had from out in the community just to you know do jobs that we haven't got time to do and so on and I think because of that we will get through this and we will learn and you know hopefully come out stronger because that's sort of what our sector does exactly it's what we have to do isn't it it is well thank you so much for chatting to me and for our listeners um the helpline number will be in the podcast notes along with more information about the charity but dickie thank you so much for talking to me today it's been a real pleasure oh thank you for your interest in our work edwina Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.